You're listening to How to SaaS, the number one podcast to grow your cloud software company with marketing, sales, and customer success in just 10 minutes a day. Each episode will feature a tip, hack, or secret to take your SaaS company to the next level. And now, here's your host and growth strategist, Shiv Narayanan. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. I'm super excited for today's guest. His name is Nicholas Kuzmich. He's the go-to expert when it comes to Facebook ads, and he's worked with all kinds of big names in the industry, including Joe Polish, Tony Robbins. He's worked with Robin Sharma, and he's also worked with a lot of SaaS companies, including companies like Samcart, uh, Zappable, and many more. Uh, I wanted to bring Nicholas on to talk about Facebook ads. Uh, we at, uh, at Wild Apricot have been using Facebook since about middle of 2016 and have been seeing some exceptional results. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to bring an expert on uh, to educate other SaaS companies to use Facebook because I've noticed in my conversations with a lot of people that I network with uh, in the SaaS universe that Facebook is really not the place where most SaaS companies are spending their time and they're leaving a lot of money on the table because there's a lot of low-hanging fruit uh, that you can capture by just rolling out some initial campaigns and that'll get a lot more juice out of your Google AdWords campaigns, your content marketing, efforts and also position yourself uh, as a thought leader out there so uh, that's what I wanted to do by bringing Nicholas on Uh, a quick note also is Nicholas just came out with a new book it's called give and it's all about the art of contextual congruence and and Facebook ads and that's what his whole pitch and consulting service is about he also runs a mastermind when it comes to Facebook ads so I encourage you to check that out it'll also be linked in the show notes on the website Um, and also in the conversation you'll notice that I have a, a, a case of the sniffles so might be a little difficult to hear my voice, but the interview is a great one. Uh, we talk for about 40 minutes about all the different ways in which you can use Facebook ads uh, from, you know, what sh- what type of content you should be putting out in your ad, where should you be taking the audience, what the strategy should be in terms of nurturing any lead or prospect that you're engaging on face- Facebook, all the way to who do you target with the ads and how do you find your particular audience there um, and and engage them uh, so that they come and buy your software eventually and also make the unit economics work um, for for your product. Um, so enjoy the episode. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Um, and uh, it's going to really help you guys uh, scale, up, scale up your paid efforts uh, on the marketing side of things. Thanks a lot. All right, Nicholas, welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, very good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and thanks for being on. Uh, why don't you take a second to give the audience your background and then we'll take it from there? Okay. Well, it's a loaded question because I could spend three hours just talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> but in, <clears throat> in short, I mean, I got into, uh, I was put into a bad situation. What I mean by that, I'm an only child. My parents lost uh, their jobs and their work due to illness and various other things really early. So I was kind of put in this place where I had to figure out um, how to be the primary breadwinner for my family when I was 17. Um, this kind of took me on a rabbit hole journey that introduced me to the internet and what's commonly known in this space as internet marketing. Um, that's a rabbit hole in and of itself. And I went down many bad paths trying to learn and find my way. But the long and short of it is I think I was just in the right place at the right time when I was ready for it. I was introduced to to this thing called Facebook ads, which was a perfect time for me because I was kind of too late to the Google AdWords game. Uh, didn't know that game very well. I was looking for like the next 800 pound gorilla where I could buy some traffic and and drive some uh, eyeballs to various things. I guess, again, right place, right time. We had a little bit of a first mover's advantage. We got really good at using Facebook to drive new business. Um, 
And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, we are now working with some of the most uh, well-known thought leaders and uh, e-commerce brands in the space. Um, we're known as having the highest ROIs recorded for running Facebook ad campaigns. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, it just uh, arguably... Facebook is the most powerful direct response advertising platform on the planet, uh, and we're able to do some really good work with it. So we run a boutique agency now that uh, helps folks do that and some consulting and training on the side as well. Right. And we'll get to the Facebook stuff in a second, but also one thing I wanted to cover part of your background, you used to be a pastor as well, right? Indeed. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, when I was just uh, in early high school, maybe late junior high, I had this sense that I was supposed to do something with my life that kind of contributed to the world. Uh, my narrative at the time told me that that would be to go into the ministry and be a pastor. So at 17, I started pastoring. At 19, I got ordained and I started my own kind of church. And I did that for 14 years. Um, oh making 30,000 bucks a year, uh, feeling like I was just fulfilling my calling in the world. Now, for multiple reasons, one thing led to another where I don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting journey. And the whole internet marketing thing or, or understanding how to kind of generate an income outside of that was, was just kind of my side hustle to make sure I could pay the bills while I was fulfilling this part of uh, the role in my life. Right. And fast forward to today, you're one of the go-to experts when it comes to Facebook ads. So uh, talk about like what, what it took to get here. And you work from with some really uh, big names in the industry, right? So how did you get people like that as, as clients? Yeah. So uh, how we got here, again, I think it was just part luck and, and part being in the right place at the right time. Uh, we had some first movers advantage to learn how Facebook works. And then very quickly, when I was having conversations with other business owners, the conversation essentially went something like this. Hey, do you run advertising? They say, yeah. I said, well, do you run Facebook ads? And they said, yeah. I said, well, do you find it profitable? And they said, no. And I said, that's strange because everything that we're doing on Facebook is profitable. And then very quickly did I realize that there was a gap in the marketplace. There was this huge opportunity to use a powerful platform that people just haven't really figured out yet. Um, so we dove in, I kind of repositioned our entire business to be that around Facebook ads. Um, and then, you know, I guess I just went against, my life is kind of being made up of going against conventional wisdom. I mean, conventional wisdom would say start small and start from the bottom and work your way up and build into a strong client base, et cetera, et cetera. But I said, you know what? Rather than doing that, let's just go to the top. Let's come up with a list of the people I really want to work with that I know I can really help. Um, and let's make them an offer that, I, that they can't refuse. So I remember coming up with that list, reaching out to 10 uh, folks that I really knew I could help that were kind of rock star clients, uh, two of which said yes to me. Um, we just knocked it out of the park for them. And since then, the rest, as they say, again, is history where people talk and we are able to highlight some of the case studies of the amazing work that we did. Uh, so we were able to work with some really great people right off the bat and, and stay working with some great people all the way through. Who were those two clients? Uh, some uh, one was Joe Polish, uh, okay. so one of the most well-connected people in the world, who kind of connected us to uh, various other things. And the other was a leader in the kind of high-ticket consulting space. Um, okay. He's kind of the grandfather of that entire industry, and he opened me up into that world. Um, so yeah, just a it's a crazy kind of slew of events that led to where we are today. Yeah, Joe Polish is great. And we actually worked with Jay Abraham here in the past at Wild Apricot. And even he has, he struggled with Facebook ads. So I know even some of the biggest experts in the world have uh, found it hard to crack that egg. So what, what's, what's different about your approach? What is it that you're doing that a lot of people 
have found difficult uh, on Facebook ads. And especially with SaaS companies, I think there aren't many SaaS companies that I can think of that are sure. doing Facebook ads really well. So what, what, do you do, what are you doing differently? Yeah, it's my methodology that I call contextual congruence. And the, the short of it is, I believe in any kind of anything for that matter, there is the tactical and then there's the strategic. Now to me, if I look at Facebook ads in general or advertising, the tactical would represent, uh, if it were looking at it as an iceberg, would represent the 10% above the surface. This is what everybody talks about. This is what everybody who, who plaws about and like, oh, if you just have this kind of bidding strategy or if you do this type of campaign or whatever, um, that's going to really make things work. And my belief is that tactics may generate sales, but strategies build businesses. And so where we really focus while, and again, I'm nothing against these companies that focus on tactics. I think that's very good. I think there's a lot of great companies that do that. But our basic positioning is anybody can learn tactics and teach tactics. Uh, what makes the real needle move much more than anything else is the strategy behind it, the 90% that nobody really talks about below the surface. And that would be stuff like social uh, behavior, understanding social behavior. And when someone logs on to Facebook or is browsing through their newsfeed, what in fact are they looking for? Uh, what are they trying to do and what causes them to take action? So I think what really sets us apart and allows us to get the results that we do is not focusing so much on the tactical elements, although of course we're masters at that, but much more understanding the strategic, the social psychology. Again, what I call contextual congruence, which in short, it's understanding the context of any given platform, staying congruent with it, uh, and as a result of that, getting the kind of responses that everyone is really looking for when they advertise on this type of a platform. Yeah, and Gary Vaynerchuk says that a lot, right? Which is content is king, but context is God. So can you, can you give an example of that where you've used this contextual congruence and uh, what are some of the results you achieve by, let's say, focusing on social behaviors? Yeah. So, you know, on a higher level place, most people think, and this is, I think this has just been ingrained in those who understand advertising and marketing for the long, long time. Uh, for the most part, advertising was a bridge, a direct bridge between a product or a service and their ideal customer. And so they would put out an ad that says, Hey, come check out my cool widget. Um, it's really cool. These are the amazing features of it. Come by now. And re really the ad functioned as the bridge. The reality is that can work on most platforms, but on Facebook, not so much. And so the general rule that we go by is that the straight line is not the straight line. What I mean by that, the straight line to any kind of project, and let's say you have a SaaS product that you're trying to sell, the straight line approach would be, hey, I got this great SaaS product, come and check it out and buy it. And the ad would basically say something along those lines. The reality is though, and I don't know about you, but when I go onto my Facebook newsfeed, I don't go with credit card in hand. Uh, looking to say, hey, what can I buy today? Now, if I was going on eBay, if I was going on Amazon, definitely. I'm in a buyer's mentality. These are commerce-driven platforms. It's very appropriate for someone to try to sell something to me on Amazon. However, obviously on Facebook, not the case. And so the straight line is not the straight line. If you attempt to go for the sale right off the bat to someone who is on a social platform, that to me is... Um, contextual incongruence. You're coming onto a social platform, but you're coming in with a commerce-based mentality. And so the resolution to that, the solution was, why are people on social? Uh, play with them uh, or, or communicate to them in a way that makes sense to that context. And then as a result, you treat the sale more as a back-end approach. So a real live example of that, for example, would be, again, let's use a SaaS company as an example. Uh, the old way of doing it is, hey, 
check out my cool SaaS product. It's really cool. Come buy it. The other way to, to, to do this, and this is what we've done for some of our SaaS clients, and we could delve much deeper into this, is uh, focus on an actual problem that your ideal prospect is looking to solve. Get very niche and specific about that problem, then provide some sort of relief. Now, that typically takes the form of content. But in other words, you'd put content in front of that person that would say, hey, this is how to solve that problem. And it just so happens that the greater perspective of that content points to your solution, which is in fact the SaaS product. So in this case, you're addressing a problem and you're bringing a solution to the marketplace in the form of content uh, rather than saying, here's my product, come buy it now, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. So for Wild Apricot, we serve nonprofit organizations. Instead right. of showing an ad for our software, we would say, here's how you can manage your membership better with a hundred different ways that you can do that. And then they download that and then we talk to them via email or retargeting ads to get them to our, our platform. Yeah, I mean, essentially at the end of the day, the, the case in point is how do you build a platform or, a, I mean, a community or a tribe is a little bit of a strong word. Not everyone, especially SaaS companies, don't want to have a huge fan page of fans who love their product. Um, but the real thing is uh, marketing 101 tells us that you need multiple touch points before someone's willing to buy. So you would have to reverse engineer that and say, well, what are the multiple touch points that I could provide to someone before they are in a state to buy? And then you use ads as the bridge to deliver those touch points. And then in the back end, like you said, via email, via your platform or via retargeting, then when they're ready, you can present the actual solution in the form of your SaaS product and get them involved that way. But that does get tricky in terms of the economics, right? Whereas, like, I think I've seen you run campaigns uh, where you'll drive traffic to a landing page or a webinar page where somebody registers. Right after they register, uh, you upsell some sort of a paid product. And then you have an opportunity to break even on that ad spend that you had up front. With a SaaS product, that money comes in recurring form, right? So sure. you're putting a lot of money up front to get, let's say, just an email, and then the economics have to work on the back end so that you break even. So, so how do you advise on, on breaking even and, uh, and how the economics work? Or is it more of like a long-term play where you're, it's a lot of branding value as well? And yeah, no, So I, I, I don't negate the idea of branding. I think that's a good play. I think if that's the only play, then people are throwing valuable dollars out the window. Um, yeah. But no matter if you're selling information, if you're selling SaaS, if you're selling anything, the real two questions that you everybody needs to be super clear about is both what is the lifetime value of my customer um, so in, in a reoccurring model with SaaS, for example it's what is my attrition rate how long do they stay with me uh, when they do stay with me what is that value let's say they stay with me for 18 months or whatever it be and then also not just with the SaaS, but do I have other cross promotional items that I can use to um, increase that lifetime value. So there's the lifetime value, but then there's also maybe the shorter term value of a lead, i.e. the 30 to 90 day value of a lead. Um, if I were to ever work with anyone, you know, one of the first questions I ask them is, hey, what is your 90 day value of a new lead to you? Uh -huh. And if you, if you can't answer that question, you're not ready for paid ads. Uh, but you have to answer that 90-day value because that's going to set some benchmarks in terms of the economics of whether or not ads can work for you. Uh, and then the second question that I tag along right after that is, well, of that 90-day value, how much of it are you able to spend on acquisition? So let's say, for example, it's a $30 a month thing. Their 90-day value is uh, because there's no upsells or cross-sells or the cart value can't be increased more than the $30. Their 90-day value is essentially $90. 
Um, uh-huh. of, of that 90 day dollars, uh, 90 day value, if they realize my attrition rate is X, X percent and I can actually keep a customer or a client for 12 months, you know, the lifetime value is here. So of that $90, when we reverse engineer the math, we can afford to spend up to $30 on acquisition. And we've seen by our past stats that every lead is worth, you know, $3 to us because through our content funnel, uh, X number of leads turn into client customers and those customers stay with us X amount of time. So let's say the average co- uh, value of a lead is worth $4 to you. Then it's very easy to go to any paid media channel and make your objective and your KPI a sub $4 acquisition for a front end lead. If all the other metrics work out on the back end and your funnel is in fact um, pinpoint accurate, of course it's not 100% all the time, But if you know your metrics, you know your KPIs, and you know your numbers, paid advertising becomes way less of a gamble, and you can essentially ensure a return on investment as long as you can stay under that acquisition cost. Right. And so for Wild Africa, what we've discovered is we make roughly $700 per year per client. Right. right. And our our break-even, we're we're open to spending that whole 12 months value upfront to acquire that customer. Right. Uh, and so we're okay with breaking even there. So we, we have a lot more that we could spend to acquire a trial, right? So, but, but it's not like when you say the cost to acquire, let's say $30 per month, it's, it's not as simple, right? Because you have to get the trial first and before the trial, you get the email first. So as you start stacking the dollars, it ends up adding up to maybe a lot more right. than, than what you would break even at, at the 12 month mark. So have you played around with thresholds to figure out how, let's say in a free trial model, it can work versus let's say a software company that uh, you buy a subscription for the full year up front uh, or more of an enterprise solution where you actually have a lot more dollars to spend uh, and you can break even very comfortably. Yeah, and it's a great question. And it's, it's the, model, the model fundamentally is the same for everybody. Uh, where it changes is how, how well your metrics work and, and uh, the math of it all. So uh, more than even, let's say, decreasing acquisition cost, which is a very legitimate approach. And of course, that is one of the things that we all need to do. Um, one of the things that I suggest to a lot of people is how do you increase the short-term cart value and how do you increase the 90-day value and how do you increase, let's say, the, the, the lifetime value, whether that's having them stick around more, whether that's having supplementary offers like, hey, for this upgrade, our tech team can help you implement the use of this software into your business. So it's a combination of how do you increase cart value and lifetime value with how do you decrease uh, acquisition costs and the combination of the two is what really makes it work. Um, obviously, if you can collect money upfront, so let's say a full year in advance rather than a monthly subscription, that's gonna help you increase your acquisition abilities. Uh, but then at the same time, if you don't look at the numbers carefully enough, that could also decrease your conversion rate. So at the end of the day, it's metrics and math, uh, and it's a marriage of a really intelligent conversion process and customer value increase process coupled with a new client or a new customer acquisition process. And really the tango that happens between those two processes is what makes ads work or not. Right. And I, I really like that example that you gave, which is to increase the short-term cart value. Uh, one example that I, I really love in the SaaS industry is uh, Russell Brunson. He has a software called ClickFunnels. Mm-hmm. And he's talked a lot about how they build front-end funnels on the back of information products. And right. that's how 
they get people in profitably into their funnel. And then right. when they're selling click funnels, their cost of acquisition is pretty much zero because right. they've already broken even on that customer. Yeah, that's a great, uh, the, a great example. And so one of, one of the people that we work with is um, Brian Moran from Samcart. Uh, yeah. a great, great SaaS product. And, and this is where we really started to be able to experiment with some of this stuff. And if you notice um, all of the ads that we run with Samcart, it is, it is just that model itself. The upfront offer is basically a niche-based information solution, i.e. how to double your revenue in the cart checkout sequence without driving more traffic, for example. Um, so people are like, wait, 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 is, is, that's interesting. Let me kind of figure that out. Um, and so it's an information that is kind of a dissertation around the upsell process because most people don't understand upsells or one-time offers or that sort of thing. So the information mm -hmm. product, teaches people how to use upsells properly and congruently in their checkout sequence. This in theory can help them double their revenue without any more traffic. Uh, but then you're right on the tail end of that, there's either, Hey, if you want an easy way to do this, use our product or um, what, what they've also been experimenting with is something like, Hey, by buying this information product, you get a 30 day trial of our of our product, which then allows you to use it and uh, deploy the strategy in a real live environment. Uh, so it's kind of two birds with one stone, but the case in point is exactly what you're saying with what Russell does with ClickFunnels. It's you lead with a solution that's not necessarily your SaaS product. The SaaS product ends up being a backend offer where your acquisition for that person is almost zero, uh, or if not, um, you know, very low compared to uh, if you're going directly after that customer with cold traffic. Right, um, which brings up an interesting cultural problem for me within SaaS companies, which is SaaS companies don't have a culture of building information products, right? <laughs> right. So a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, like Russell Brunson can build a funnel like that because he comes from the informational marketing world, sure. but a SaaS company like HubSpot isn't going to go out there and create a paid course, you know? So uh, how do you overcome that or are there other ways around this? Yeah, so I think the two things were, and, and, and I think one of the mentalities that if you're going to advertise on social, um, one of the mentalities that no matter what type of company you are, whether you sell pet food, whether you sell children's products, whether you sell hearing aids, or whether you sell a SaaS solution, you need to get into the mindset of, I am on top of what I do, I am also a publisher. Uh, the mindset has to be, I publish content to the marketplace, and that content are my marketing arms that actually do a lot of the heavy lifting that end up promoting our solution. So even if you aren't necessarily creating information products in and of themselves, you do need to be in the mindset of how can I put forth information that does pre-frame somebody to be much more apt to buy my SaaS solution. So HubSpot being an example, sure they don't have an information product, which I think they could easily do, but they do have loads of content that they put out into the social stratosphere that then gets people familiar with them that then points them and puts them, positions them as an authority, and then definitely pre-frames people to say, hey, HubSpot is a legitimate solution that I'm gonna consider. So even if you're not selling that right off the bat necessarily, if your numbers work, you still think you need to be in the mindset of, I'm an information publisher. Whether I charge for that or not is besides the point, um, but that is going to definitely put people in a much better spot if they choose to advertise on social. Yeah, I really like that angle. I think um, SaaS companies 
I would say are more built to go that angle for sure. Right. Uh, so, and like, for example, we in the last year have been publishing videos regularly to Facebook, uh, showing it to our email lists or retargeting website visitors is purely an educational play. Right. And then we're also retargeting the viewers, but those video views come way cheaper than let's say how much a retargeting ad costs. Right. So we can show an ad, a retargeting ad finally to somebody who has gone to the end of the video. Right. And, and, a, and a SaaS play that I really like as we're kind of speaking along those lines, uh, if, if the company can afford, if it is kind of a reoccurring model for a SaaS item that someone's going to use, you know, over and over and over again, uh, one of the things that we see that works quite well if done properly is a free trial offer. So if you can position a free trial offer in a way that makes it super irresistible on the back end of content. So the funnel would look like, like you said, maybe put out a video or a piece of content that helps solve a very legitimate problem for your ideal prospect. They consume that content. They're like, geez, you know, this makes total sense. Uh, And the call to action in that content is a free trial offer. I think here's where a lot of people drop the ball. It's they get the free trial and then great, but their stick rate after the first month or after the seven days, however long that free trial, it's not very long. And I think that has less to do with it being a poor product and more to do with not spending the time, money, energy, and resources to ensure the person starts using the product. Because I see a lot of people- Yeah, yeah, onboarding. Because I see a lot of people offer a great SaaS trial. People take the SaaS trial, but then life comes up and they're like, oh, I'm going to get to this one day. And then the trial runs out and they're like, well, of course, I don't want to keep my auto subscription. doesn't make sense. However, if you spend uh, the time, money, energies, and resources on the onboarding process to really customize that, that experience to get them involved in using the actual product, then by the time the trial ends, they are so invested in it. And if your product is in fact killer and actually helps bring about a result, um, the likelihood of someone falling off your trial is very low. And then you get stick rates where you get, you know, 70% plus people sticking around rather than the 10%. And that has much more to do with, again, investing in the process of getting people educated and invested to start using the trial. Because once someone uses something, um, you know, even in my day, any kind of SaaS thing that I'm currently using right now, it is just a pain in the ass to switch um, because I'm so invested. I have all my everything invested into it. Um, but that happened because early on I said, you know what, I'm going to use this thing. I'm going to try to use it to the best of my ability and get my client, you know, everything involved. Um, and that's what's kept me around for, for months and months and months and months with no anticipation to kind of switch over to any competitor just because I'm invested now. Yeah, I'm really happy you brought that up because it also connects uh, to a bigger issue, which is like if you because we had Joey Coleman on the podcast uh, yeah. at the beginning and he's all about the first hundred days and right. doing a really great job with onboarding. Uh, I think how that onboarding piece connects is if you have a free trial where a large percent of users are connecting, then the actual revenue you make on the back end actually goes up. Right. It connects to the front end because then you could say, Oh, I can actually spend more money to acquire a customer. Right. Whereas if your onboarding is broken and a lot of people are falling off, then you can't really spend that much money up front. Yeah. And I, I think you bring up a good point and, and this is kind of the point that I want to keep reiterating here is oftentimes people have this illusion that, you know, advertising is the magic bullet that's going to solve all problems. If I can just get more clients and more customers kind of involved in my thing, then I'm great. Uh, You know, advertising is really just an accelerator. So if you have a great onboarding process, you have a great product, you have a great stick rate, you have a great everything, a great lifetime value, then 
good advertising is going to be your best friend. But like if you haven't worked out those kinks yet of onboarding and you haven't worked out those kinks of stick rates and you haven't worked out all, you know, the rest of that stuff, right? man, I would almost advise most people stay away from advertising unless the advertising is designed literally to buy you data. So get people into your system so you can fix the system as you go and understand what touch points need the correction. Well, then, yeah, spend a little bit of money on advertising to bring people through your process. But please, if you're listening here and thinking that advertising is going to be the golden ticket to like light your business on fire and scale it to the moon with new customer acquisition, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's, it's an accelerator. It's, it's not a magic bullet. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point, which is, you know, when a company's starting out, maybe Google is enough. Maybe something like Captera ads to get you some initial users to collect product feedback is enough. So when would you recommend somebody goes into the realm of Facebook ads? Because obviously you could spend a lot of money on Google right. and, and get more late funnel visitors without doing this whole play of nurturing a cold lead all the way through to warm status, right? Yeah, yeah. I would think there's, uh, so I'm gonna answer that two ways. One, there are only two, way, two times where anyone should really be diving into Facebook ads. A, because you need cheap data, um, and Facebook, you know, will allow you to reach ideal prospects at a cheaper rate than most other platforms out there. So if you're looking for very small budgets to, to test data, to get your metrics, to get your KPIs and work all that out, that would be a good time to very gently test the waters. Um, or the very opposite, where all your metrics are dialed in. You're like, I get this. We know our lifetime value. We know our onboarding process. We know our stick rate. Now it's time to scale. Um, that would be the other time to use Facebook ads. Now, there are also some unconventional ways that you could be using Facebook ads at very, very cheap cost to help this process. For example, if you're using Google ads or some other ad platform to bring people in through, let's say, query-based advertising, which is your warmest traffic, of course, uh -huh. you could use Facebook ads for the retargeting portion only, which will cost you pennies, literally, uh, to be able to retarget those people who are in your system. Uh, so that's a great way to kind of dip your toes into Facebook ads to help use Facebook ads to push people through a funnel, to stay top of mind with people, to get people going through your content, and then to retarget them to the sale, even if the cold ads don't start as well. So there's a couple ways that you could look at it. Um, I think there's always a way to creatively bring it to the mix without ever really being at too much risk uh, with, your, with your ad capital to be able to utilize the platform. Right. And you can also get re uh, creative with the retargeting. For example, for one Google ad campaign, you could show one retargeting ad and vice versa. So that, that lets you track the total value that you're putting in, that you're getting out of your Google ads and then the amount of dollars that you're putting in with Facebook and Google combined. Yeah. And, and I call it double dipping essentially. I mean, if you're going to spend money on Google ads anyways, and that's where you're going to be getting some of your traffic from anyways, my suggestion is wherever you're driving that traffic to, whether it be a landing page or a free trial page or a sales page or whatever it be, if you put your Facebook tracking or a retargeting pixel on that page, now you're literally able to take that advertising dollar and stretch it even further um, because you're double dipping. Everybody who comes from Google will now be pixeled by Facebook and you can go, <clears throat> excuse me, and move into uh, retargeting them that way. Yeah, and just for the audience, we've been doing this for a while now, and it works wonders. So any Google ad that you're running, you should definitely have a retargeting campaign running on the back of that. Right. Um, 
so okay so that that makes sense like retargeting as a first stage makes sense what are some additional steps like let's say you do have your metrics dialed in and and you've exhausted google adwords in terms of how much you can spend there yeah what are some additional ways to find audiences because there's the one piece is what is the content and the offer that you're showing them sure and the other piece is who are you showing it to yeah. right so where would you start there? Yeah, that's a great question. I like to see it as what I call the 4% rule. So when I say the 4%, most people, and we've, taught, we've been taught Pareto's principle for so long, essentially, you know, who's the, what is the 20% that drives everything, right? It's the 80-20 rule. What I like to say is, especially on Facebook, uh, because there's so much competition out there and there is, you know, so much noise in the marketplace, the idea is what, who is your 20% of your 20%? So it doesn't mean you have to dedicate all of your efforts towards that very niche 4%, but it means that now your ads can be super, super specific to a particular 4%. So if I'm looking at, let's say, the Facebook advertising space, uh, just using my example, I could say, wow, you know, I'm just going after you know, business owners in the Facebook advertising space. Well, that's still 20%. It's not bad, um, but I want to get super niche. So when I started out, I said, who is my 4%? And what I realized, this is not no longer the case, but this was back in the day, my 4% represented the high ticket coach consultant expert who had higher ticket offers. And so when I looked into the Facebook space, I said, who can I serve the best? Who can I really bring a solution to? Um, and who's being underserved in the marketplace? And I realized that that was the niche. And that was my, then I could laser target my communications, my focus, everything around that. And the easiest way to, in my opinion, to start that targeting mentality and to start thinking about who you could reach is what I call the targeting trifecta. And it's essentially the three Fs that you're looking for. The first is, um, who do your ideal prospects follow? So in my opinion, you know, Facebook is just really a, a big tribe that has many sub-tribes in it, and every tribe has a tribal leader. So for the sake of, let's say, if I was in the personal development space and I had a meditation SaaS app, uh, I would say, well, those people who would best utilize my app or my SaaS product, let's say it's a meditation thing, who are the leaders in the meditation space? Who has the biggest tribe? Let's say like Eckhart Tolle, for example. Uh, that would be a great person right. that I can target with my content. So who are they following? Who are the tribal leaders on Facebook that has big groups of your ideal prospects into them? Secondly, what do they frequent? So the first F is follow. The second F is frequent. What do they frequent? Are there certain publications that they are reading regularly? Um, let's say in the, in the, in the business space, uh, are they reading the you know, Wall Street Journal? Are they reading the New York Times? Are they reading Business Insider or Forbes? See, what someone consumes on a regular basis tells me a whole deal about them. So now what I want to ask of my ideal prospects, what are maybe some trade publications uh, or general publications, mass media publications that my people are ideally consuming on a regular basis. What do they frequent? Uh, and by doing that, you're going to start getting very clear on some people you might be able to target. And the last thing that I would ask is, what do they fund? So what are they actually spending money currently? That could be competitors. So if I had a, uh, a shopping cart SaaS product, I would say, well, who, you know, who are other shopping cart SaaS products that I could target or what are supplementary that people are buying? So if I have a shopping cart platform for internet marketers, then I would say, well, they probably are using CRM systems. So if they're using CRMs, well, what are the top CRM systems out there that I know they could benefit from a shopping cart system? So in that case, let's say Infusionsoft, Aweber, HubSpot, et cetera, et cetera. So right. by, when you start thinking in that, what I again call the targeting trifecta, who do they follow? 
what do they frequent and what do they fund? What are they spending money on? What are cer uh, certain solutions that they're currently spending money on? It starts to give you a bit of a, a clearer picture on how you, could give you, how you can begin to target and reach your ideal prospect. That's great. I really like all three of those. And I think most businesses can likely find their target audiences using one of those three. But what about, what about somebody whose audience, let's say, is not necessarily uh, findable using those three? Like, is, is an option like scraping lists and using custom audiences uh, a good option? Or, or do you think almost any market can be found using Facebook's targeting? Yes, I, I, I do think. And, and you know, there's, when you actually look into the targeting capabilities of Facebook, it is absolutely incredible. Uh, most people are just targeting interest-based or behavior-based, which I think is is just a small 20% of the actual grander scheme of things. So yes, I believe that if you know how to start searching, whether it's who do they work for, what their job titles are, what industries they're a part of, like that's all part of it as well, you could probably find that those people with the, the general Facebook targeting capabilities. However, that being said, if you do have, let's say, uh, customers already, if you do have a leads list already, utilizing those lists as custom audiences that could potentially build out lookalike audiences are great, great ways, uh, very low-hanging fruit. I mean, if you have your Facebook retargeting pixel on your website and you get decent web traffic, that is low-hanging fruit. And then you can go ahead and create some lookalikes around that depending on the volume. So I say don't necessarily commit to only one and saying, hey, I'm only going to use Facebook targeting. I would look at everything that I potentially had available to me and combine them all to start generating some targeting capabilities. And if you can do that, the reality is you'll probably never be able to run out of targeting. I mean, unless you have a super, super, super niche-based solution uh, that is, you know, only for uh, certain categories of C-level executives that work in certain industries, uh, you probably, unless you're like in that space, you're probably not going to run out of uh, opportunities to find people that uh, are going to benefit from what you have. Right. And, and really, we, I mean, we could talk about tactics, but I mean, I'd rather stay away from it personally, because from what you're saying and, and from what I know is purely, this is a lot of experimentation and, right. and trying things and failing at things and finding which avenues are actually going to work for you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is experimentation, but it's like, it's educated experimentation. It's understanding, right. you know, how it works. And then based on that, going after your lowest hanging fruit, uh, building some confidence and understanding of how your market responds and then kind of building it out from there. So yes, uh, will you lose some of the time? The answer is 100% yes, but just like any kind of investment endeavor, uh, if you win more than you lose and you use those learnings to be able to scale out from there, then you know, was it in fact losing? Uh, you know, that's a whole kind of philosophical argument. But the idea is you take the data, you use the data to build from there, and then it's almost like you can't lose you know, after all that process. Right. Oh, that's great. Um, um, I think we're getting close to wrapping up. Just a couple more questions. What, what, what are your thoughts on um, other platforms like, 
LinkedIn has an ad platform. Twitter sure. has an ad platform. Do, do you even want to go there uh, before you've maxed out something like Facebook? Because Facebook seems to be, you know, this infinite well of, of leads almost. And until you finish that, why even start with those platforms? Right, right. And so, you know, I, on the one hand, I'm not a purist. And so what I mean by that is, like, it's not Facebook or nothing. I right. think that, that's a silly mentality. I think the more avenues you have that you can use that's going to benefit you, the better. Um, but I do think that Facebook should definitely be in the mix. Uh, it is as of right now, for the most part, and of course there's exceptions to this rule, but for the most part, it's kind of the most powerful direct response advertising platform on the planet just because of the targeting capabilities and the cost for acquisitions are still so low compared to some of this other stuff. Uh -huh. But that being said, again, I'm not going to suggest that everyone just says Facebook only, but I am going to say that in your entire mix of things that I think Facebook should definitely be in the mix there. And it should be something that people dedicate to mastering maybe early, because if you can understand this, then you can translate some of your learnings onto the other platforms because the other platforms, frankly, will probably cost you a lot more in acquisition. And so if you don't have your metrics and numbers dialed in, then the other platforms are just going to end up, uh, you know, burning through some of your cash. Right. And, and what, are your, what are your thoughts on like, uh, well, Instagram, when we're talking about Facebook, I'm also bundling Instagram a little bit there because it's a similar yeah. strategy, maybe slightly different context and different content. But sure. uh, what are your thoughts on some of the newer platforms like Snapchat now with stories and uh, they're having in-story in ads, right? Right. right. What, what are your thoughts on ad campaigns like that? Yeah, I think, again, it comes back to staying contextually congruent. And so at the end of the day, my rule of thumb is always, hey, test it and see if it works. But at the same time, if you realize that your users may not be in a certain platform, like I, I'm, I, I'm just going to guess. And then depending on your SaaS solution, but let's say you have a SaaS solution for, for businesses, I'm going to guess that something like Pinterest is probably not your best place to advertise just because... Pinterest users are probably not, you know, your enterprise level solution uh, business owners. So I think one of the things is to take a step back and say, where really are my ideal prospects hanging out? But uh, stuff like Instagram, I know in certain niches, we tend to get some great results and they work really well. And it's like, wow, I never would have suspected. And in other niches, it's just like, yeah, Instagram was kind of a waste or Snap was a little bit of a waste because my demographic, I mean, Snap is for a much younger following. So if your SaaS product might be there, then it's worth testing. Um, you know, Instagram is much more image driven. A lot of health people do well on that. A lot of apparel people do well on that, but not so much kind of business solutions. So it's, it's kind of remembering the bigger scheme of things, always being willing to test a little bit. Uh, but then also at the same time, not getting carried away to say, my God, I need to test every advertising platform out there. And then you get all kind of confused. Right. At least it brings some focus to it, right? <laughs> as um, much as it can. Yeah. As much as it can. Yeah. Um, in terms of like new innovations on Facebook itself, what are you most excited about? Uh, live video has been huge over the last uh, year or so. Yeah. And, and now I think they're bringing advertising to Facebook groups. Are, do you see those two being the major things or are there more things that you're more excited about? Uh, it, it's, it's a great question. And it's, it's so interesting because the, I, I, so I consider myself a slow adopter. So what I mean by that is whenever a new thing comes out on Facebook, I essentially take two steps back. I let the market and the early adopters play around, waste their money and come up with some solutions as to whether it's viable or not. And if the market is demanding right. it and the other people who have tested it say it's worthwhile, then we might jump in. Because there were all these phases. Fortunately, Facebook's always innovating. So, you know, back in the day it was lead ads and everybody was like, oh my God, lead ads are the best thing in the world. And then 
few months later, everyone realized that lead ads are terrible. Um, Yes, you can generate cheap leads, but they're garbage in terms of conversions. And so we never actually ran any lead ads because I took some steps back. I watched the, uh, the thing play out. I realized these are going nowhere. No problem. Same thing with, let's say, like quizzes and that sort of thing. So... Facebook Live is huge right now, and I think it's going to stay. I don't think it's necessarily viable for everybody because not everybody loves to get on video. Uh, so it may not be a, a solution that can be rolled out to a lot of people, but I think if you do can utilize video well, it's worth considering. Uh, the big trend right now are messenger ads and messenger bots. Uh, there have been literally out of the last three months a ridiculous number of SaaS companies who have come out with automated Facebook messenger bots that supposedly make your sales process much easier. Uh, (laughs) I've, I've decided yet again to take two steps back, let the market decide, let people play around with it, spend all the money figuring it out. If I do feel like that it's worthwhile doing that after the fact, I will come in and I'll dominate the market. If again, it just ends up being a trend and I'm like, well, at least we didn't spend a waste any time or money on that. So yeah, bots are cool. Uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, ads, uh, live is, is, is huge. If you can utilize that. Um, and Facebook is just continually coming out with new features all the time. Some I think are going to make a huge difference and others I think are just going to come and go real quick. Uh, they, so just, they just came out with stories as well on Facebook, I think. Yeah, and, and to, to be honest with you, I don't think that even has much to do with um, having a great stories platform. I think that <laughs> just has everything to do with putting a real big dent in Snapchat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Zuck is good at that. If you want to compete with him, he's not looking. And, and think about that. If, if Zuck can get even half a percent of the market share away from Snap and onto any one of his other platforms, i.e. WhatsApp, i.e. Uh, Instagram, and now IE Facebook stories, those are all Facebook properties. If he can yeah. just pull 1% away from Snapchat, Snapchat's going to suffer big time. Um, so yeah, again, a lot of cool things out there. Some of them are, are I think, to help people. Uh, I think other things are really just to kind of put a dent in competitors and let Facebook keep growing and be the monster that they are. Yeah, yeah I'm really happy you said that because I think my approach to it is very similar. It's just weighted out because I think when it comes down to it, for most companies, at least the ones listening, the, the basics will get you to the 80% mark on almost anything here. So if you right. just launch a retargeting ad, that'll give you as much as, of a return as you need from Facebook for now, right? So uh, you don't need to do all the things, live video and bots and uh, Facebook group ads and all that stuff. You can just start off with the very basics and maybe just some of the targeting options that you listed. Yeah, and um, you, I'm glad you brought that up because the reality is most people will never have to go beyond that. I yeah. mean, that in and of itself will be enough to scale their business. Yeah. And so you, you put in like a quarter's worth of work to set everything up. As long as it's working well enough, then you can just move on to other projects yeah. instead of yeah monitoring it like a hawk. I mean, unless you're spending millions on paid ads every single month, like Shopify does. I mean, we, we don't. We spend a few hundred thousand. Sure. But outside of that, you, you don't necessarily need to go that detailed. Well, even if you do, like we have, we have certain clients right now that are spending $3 million a month on ads. Um, and we haven't gone beyond any of the basic link, click, static image ads. Uh, (laughs) If we wanted to go beyond that, we probably could. But uh, I mean, even at some decent spends, uh, you still don't even need to go too far off the basics. So I hope that encourages at least one person listening to us here thinking, oh my God, there's so many different options. Yeah, there are, but you don't have to, you know, concern yourself too much with them. Right. Uh, Yeah. So last but not least, man, I just want to thank you for doing this interview. I think uh, you've 
made Facebook ads a little bit simpler for people that are listening. And I really hope that uh, SaaS companies benefit from it and start doing more things on Facebook. So I appreciate you for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. And uh, if there's anything I can do to help uh, help some people out, uh, people can reach me in, in any uh, one of a number of ways that I think we can throw in some show notes there. Yeah, what's what's your website? Let's let's. Uh, well, the website is nicholaskuzmich.com, um, and depending on when this airs, uh, we just released a brand new book out on how to use Facebook ads called Give, and you can find that at givebook.info. Uh, that's a great way to really get your feet d- dove in without investing anything more than a couple of bucks to get a book and and you know play with the space and see how we approach things. So so yeah, that's great, man. I'll put put that in the show notes as well. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely, appreciate it. Thanks, man. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes and to check us out at www.howtosass.com. And we will see you next time.